All right, guys, welcome back to Tax-Free Living. I'm your host, Carlton Dennis, and today I have a very special guest with me. I have another tax strategist with me. I thought it would be important for you guys to hear another person's perspective, and maybe even someone who's not in the United States. Today I have here with me Mr. Darren Joseph. Darren, introduce yourself. Hi, Carlton, thank you very much, appreciate it. My name is Darren Joseph. I have been in finance all my adult life, I'm 47 years old. I followed in my dad's footsteps and he's done in tax, domestic and international his entire life as well. So what, where am I based right now? I'm in Lisbon, Portugal, but for the past seven years, I've been based in Singapore. COVID-19 issues means that it's kind of tricky for me to get back home. But uh, yeah, so I deal, uh, we have a small practice. They're about just about 10 of us. We're within a, a larger practice called Moore's Rule in Asia Pacific. We have 30 offices in 11 countries. So as far north as Beijing and Tokyo, all the way down to Bali. And I sit in, in Singapore, which is, which is a great hub. We deal both inbound and outbound. So this will be U.S. exposed investors coming into Southeast Asia primarily, as well as Asian investors going into the U.S. We do international tax in general. So like earlier this week, I was doing a couple in Japan who want to do something in Singapore. But our sweet spot really is U.S. international tax. Great to be here. Nice. So you focus on taxes just like I do. Do you typically get a lot of clients who are business owners or investors, or do you typically just get like employees who are just looking to get their tax returns done? What's like more or less your ideal client? So pretty much a healthy mix of both. Uh, we, we tend to deal with some higher income earners. So we typically don't take anyone who earns, let's say, less than 150, 200,000 a year. Yeah. Because, simply because it's, it's just not the best use of our time, uh, our, our skill set. So we deal with, you know, people, I've had someone with some complex stock options yeah. and the difference investing rules between uh, Singapore and the U.S. That was this week. Uh, this morning, what did I do this morning? It's a company out of Hong Kong that has been selling online into the U.S. and they want an IPO. Okay. Um, after that, I dealt with an American-owned education company that operates in mainland China. Nice. So, you know, how do they structure the, the tax relationship? They want to be a bit more efficient. So, so mainly that's, this is what we typically deal with. Nice. So you yeah. deal with a lot of, a lot of business owners. We do. We do. Yeah. 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 And you're a business owner yourself. You were able to, you said you have a team of about 10 people. Sure. Being the fact that you're a business owner, how has COVID-19 impacted you? I know in the United States is kind of taking a rough hit over here, but you're in Lisbon, Portugal right now. How has it impacted your business as well as maybe some of your other staff members? Yeah. I mean, it has been um, disruptive, completely disruptive. Uh, actually, when I was in quarantine in Indonesia, in, uh, March and April, I actually wrote a book because, you know, I just had a lot of time. It's called Adapt or Die, uh, International Entrepreneurship in a Post-Pandemic World, where I documented the sense that I was getting from, from what was happening. But uh, to answer your question specifically, how is it is impacted? Everyone, all plans are ripped up. Yeah. Everything is back to zero. Whatever you thought, and especially, I don't deal with any clients that are domestic. If you're domestic only, someone else can help you. Right. So you have to be crossing borders. So for those, that, that type of entrepreneur, that type of business owner, that type of expat, they have been disproportionately impacted, of course. 
so just to summarize it, everything is back to zero. My thesis has been that it hasn't created anything new. Yeah. What it has done, it served as a catalyst. So it has accelerated pre-existing conditions. So just like the disease itself, it says to disproportionately impact people with comorbidities, other issues internally. Same with businesses. If your business was, it was a bit rocky or it had some sort of challenge, that challenge has been blown wide open. Yeah. Absolutely. So what are some of the conversations you're having with these business owners to try to help them? I know that one of the things that United States did was they try to offer some relief in the form of stimulus checks and EIDL loans and paycheck protection program loans. But, you know, with international um, clients that you may work with, they may not have access to some of these loan programs here in the United States. So how has the conversation shifted and what have you been kind of trying to tell them or coach them through since they've been impacted from an income standpoint? Right. So, so I guess many jurisdictions, I mean, obviously not to the extent that the U S has, they have, you know, pull out those checkbooks and they've been writing checks as well. So, but the, the thing is because of some of my clients are like cross border, they may not neatly fit into one specific box and they may not qualify. So our conversation really has been about, okay, how can you adapt? You know, forget a short-term fix, forget putting a bandage on what is a gaping wound. What, I mean, what is the impact on, on your business model and right. how can we rationalize it? And to be fair, I mean, it has been, I, I guess, like everyone else about uh, leveraging the internet. Yeah. You have to be digital. How can you do that? And cost rationalization. How can you manage costs? So because work from home or remote work is now the default, it's actually like in Singapore, it's a government policy. The default has to be work from home. So that, that I mean, wow, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag, right? So, but it has created opportunities because now some, some business owners are saying, well, you know what? I don't need to be in a high cost uh, piece of real estate. I don't need to be in downtown Tokyo. I don't need to be in London, Manhattan. I don't need to be in Singapore, Hong Kong. Yes. I can be somewhere else. I can be anywhere. You know, once we have decent connectivity and time zones are friendly, I can do it. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of movement. So like someone was telling me uh, a conversation I had with a banker this morning, my time, no, sorry, with a guy in oil and gas yesterday. So uh, Zoom calls back to back. He's telling me that in terms of uh, household goods, expats wanting to move to back home and move somewhere else, containers are backed up to next Feb. So you cannot get a container until next Feb. This is out of Singapore. And this is like the second or third busiest port in the world. Wow. So they have a lot of capacity, but it just shows that the demand exceeds supply. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of movement going on. Where are people moving to? Well, you know, um, they, and you know, this whole city thing is not just uh, internationally. Obviously, we're hearing what's going on in San Francisco. Half the stores are closed. You know, Facebook says you can work from home until next summer. What's going on in New York? And the same is going on in Hong Kong and Singapore and London. So where are people going to? At least in my network, uh, New Zealand, Australia. New Zealand, really Australia. Because you know you get a lot of real estate for a reasonable price. Yes. And so if you have to be isolated, at least I have a few acres outside. 
Or Europe, which is why I'm here. So I've had a fair bit, a fair number of clients, even though they're originally from the U.S. They're thinking, you know, what? I don't like, you know, I don't feel comfortable with what's going on right now. So I want to explore Europe because Europe checks all those boxes. Depending on where you go, yeah. you can get the, the low, the low operating costs, fantastic uh, Wi-Fi. I mean, the Wi-Fi connection I have now is the fastest I've ever seen in my life, and medical care which is a, a fraction of the cost of the u.s or, or singapore correct i've also been having calls with people in the u.s who obviously want to do it as well you know okay i run a business and now i am location independent what can i do with this mm-hmm. and so we have conversations around like benefiting at least from you know section 911 foreign income exclusions yeah so your first hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars is tax free so uh, why am I sitting in California, which is, you know, it takes half my money. <laughs> yeah. and, then talk, and then they're talking about a wealth tax as well, you know, get yeah. me out of here. So the same impetus or the same motive that would have said, well, you know what, I'm going to move to Houston. Then, um, no, why am I moving to Houston? I could move to Bangkok. Yeah. I could move to Bali. I could move anywhere I like. You know? Anywhere I have Wi-Fi. Exactly. Right. There you go. Yeah. And I love that you, you brought up adapt or die the book that you said that you wrote during uh, the beginning stages of the pandemic, because the conversation that our accounting firm was having with a lot of small business owners was to adapt, right? A lot of business owners didn't realize that they could email their accountant and upload paperwork, right? It was new to them to be able to do taxes over the computer this year. But then for those business owners, they also had to adapt their businesses. If you are a storefront, do you have an online presence? Do you have products you can sell online? Can you transition your your business model to maybe offer educational services? Or we even saw some clients who were using some of their facilities to start creating hand sanitizer products that has completely exponentially grown their businesses. So I love that you brought up the word adapt and it relates not only to business, but to where you're living, right? I know that California, where we are, it's a very expensive state to live in a very expensive company or country already. So I have a lot of my clients who are uprooting themselves out of California where they've lived here for so long and are looking at places like Dallas, Texas and uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and even out of country in places like Singapore. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and then I guess you can take that a bit further, you know, okay, so I will work remotely, but so can my team. And, and okay, well, you know, let's, let's take that idea further. I have a bunch of people doing, you know, analytical back office, whatever. Do they have to be in the US? We have to pay like payroll taxes and everything like that. The, I mean, look at India, you know, the, bunch of smart people in India and English speaking people in the Philippines and the Middle East. So, you know, why not? So the, the price that I would pay to get someone with, you know, a solid undergrad, you know, qualification and they kind of know what they're talking about. I can pay half of that and get someone with an MBA and a qualified accountant. Yeah. So, you know, why not? I mean, to be fair, Ever since, I guess, the late 80s into the 90s, Fortune 500 companies have been doing it. But it seemed a bit, you know, way out there. Yeah. But now suddenly it's within reach for SMEs as well. Mm-hmm. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. I believe in it. And, you know, you have to, like, we're just going to go back to that word. You kind of have to adapt. One of the biggest things that uh, accounting firms deal with 
as overhead is payroll, right? Mm. The biggest thing that can hold you back from scaling in an accounting firm is having to hire really good CPAs and the really good CPAs come with really good price points, right? So if you can cut the cost by outsourcing to, to someone else who can get that work done at half a third of the price, you're able to scale your business and you're able to receive more capacity too. Absolutely. Love that. So with your, with your business and what you have going on right now, what are some of the challenges that you're facing? And then where are some of the things that you feel like you've succeeded in over this last few months that we've been in this pandemic? Well, just, you know, I need to practice what I preach, right? So we need to adapt as well. If it is, as, as you know, with tax, it, there's a, a time lag. So we're working with people on the 2019 the 2019 tax situation. It, the tax deadline has passed, so we're dealing with delinquents, you know, amnesty program, streamlined, uh, you know, willfulness statements or whatever. But we know what's going to happen next year when we have to deal with 2020. Right. Uh, some of the clients will not be here. You know, they will, they will not survive. So the question is, well, how do we adapt? And that's why I'm here in Europe. So I, uh, there's a lot of wealth that has flowed back from emerging markets yeah. back to source. So emerging markets may be slightly out of favor to some extent because of the uncertainty. Right. So, you know, people retreat to safety, not just in terms of their asset allocation, but they're also the geographical spread. Yeah. So North America and Europe, you know, there's, it's, it's, there's a probably a lot more for us to explore. So I, you know, I did my research and I've been doing it for a while. I guess I've been working with clients who've been doing it. So I got my residency in Portugal last month. Okay. And there is, you know, a healthy concentration of location independent business owners who may be U.S. exposed. And, they, you know, you can check on YouTube. There's so many of them. They talk about some the fire you know, financial independent, retire early. Yeah. So they have a portfolio, they have stuff going on, but they don't need to be in the US and they're here. Mm -hmm. So we're using Portugal as an entry point and then into probably, because it's Southern Europe, so it's kind of like lower end. Okay. And my intention is to graduate and move into the higher end jurisdictions, the financial centers, the Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, and Monaco. And, and help people. I mean, again, we, we swing both ways, whether it is your US exposed investing into Europe or your money's here or your European investing into the US. Either way, we can work with you. I love that, man. I love that. How does kind of family play in a part of what you do? I know that you're out there. Um, do you um, have like a family that you've kind of brought out there with you? Um, or was it a transition for you moving out to Lisbon? Right. So, well, family's kind of complicated right now, but my kids are uh, in the U.S. Yeah. So, so my eldest, he is going to be finishing uh, law school, University of Miami, end of next year. Okay. You have to be proud about that. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to seeing what he's going to do because the world into which he's going to emerge will be quite different. different. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're planning to come out here and, keep your hands stretched out, hoping someone will give you a job, you know, that's going to be tricky. And then my second son, he is starting undergrad at Fordham in New York. Okay. He's, Fordham. Yeah. He's doing finance and I have, I have two younger kids, but they, you know, they're, they're still in, you know, they're not that old yet. So we don't have to worry about that. They, they're in uh, North Miami beach. 
so so they're okay and i guess it's always been uh, a culture a habit where i travel i tell them it's kind of like you know families who have a dad that's in the military you know he yeah. gets deployed he he does what he needs to do and he come he returns to base yeah every once in a while and spend <laughs> some time so you know i'm, I'm at war right now yeah. uh, trying to make sure that we pivot in the right way and clients we have our first webinar at the end of next week okay uh, targeting portugal and we've been surprised at the uptake we when we checked this morning there were like 85 rsvps so again it shows the appetite for what we have to offer yeah and so yeah we just take it from there i love that and i like that you said that um <laughs> it's like i'm at war right now right many um people who start out in business don't realize that starting a business is like going to war darren you you, yeah. you made a very good um, example there because most people who are going into business are doing it for a bigger purpose than just adjust themselves, right? It's more than just having an extra income. It's about creating a legacy and creating a vehicle that's may even be something you can pass off to your children. And so many people who are starting businesses may already have children and you have to focus a lot on your business when you're getting it off the ground. I know that um, as a business owner, my mom was working as a W-2 employee, but she had her tax business on the side. So she was mm -hmm. sacrificing a lot of time away from family in order to get that business off the ground. Can you kind of speak on how you kind of got your business to where it was, where some of the hurdles happened and how did you kind of remain resilient to be where you're at today? Uh, that's, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I guess, it's been like yourself, it's been in my blood, right? So I grew up seeing my dad at his desk at home. Even when he's not in the office, he's at home. He never switched off, right? So, and you know, there's this book, Robert Kiyosaki, I'm sure everyone's heard of it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, so he, my neighbor, so like my best friend growing up, his dad was also a business owner. He ran an IT company, and again, he just was always, always on the go. So those two were my role models. So I knew what I was getting into. I did, you know, my dad and I always had a, a sort of like a, a tricky relationship. Yeah. So I didn't want to work with him at first. And I went off and I was working in, I've always done finance, but in other industries. And then by my early to mid thirties, I came to him and I said, okay, I got as far as I could on my own. You know, I'm at the top of my particular area of, of finance, which was uh, pricing. I worked for uh, a publicly traded um, internet company. I, I won't mention what it is, but it's, it's pretty well established. And, and that last contract I was switching, they had the main offices in uh, Seattle. Washington. Okay. And I was bouncing back between there and London. And, but you know, that was the height and I knew how much I was earning, which was like low six figures. And I'm thinking, I want more, yeah. I want more. And then he, so I, I flew down to Florida told him where I was at and he said, finally, you're willing to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he told me either you're going to do the CPA, you're going to do the enrolled agents exam. By that time, I just wanted to do taxes only. I didn't want all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. You know, before I, you know, I've had, I have two master's degrees in economics. I've done uh, a UK, uh, a British accounting qualification. I just wanted to learn US tax. Yeah. I think that's where the opportunity is. So I did it. 
and um, I haven't looked back. He he focused when he was practicing. He focused on domestic issues, and but my I love because of what I was doing professionally before. I love being on planes. I love working with people in different jurisdictions, yeah. working on complex problems. So I was just really focused on the international piece, yeah. and. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything that anyone doesn't know, you know, it doesn't come easy. And I, you know, I just giggle when I look at the nonsense on Instagram and on social media where people are flexing for the gram and (laughs) showing pools and cars and making it look so easy. Passive income, that's all crap. You know, it's, it's the grind. It's hard. It's laborious. I started off my practice in, in London, between London and the Caribbean. Yeah. And I wasn't getting any traction. I got, you know, client acquisition was, was pretty tough, you yeah. know, cause I, I was in with some really big dogs. You're right. And they, they kept me in my place. And then I got the opportunity to move out to Southeast Asia to be a partner in a firm that is already established down there. And they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. I jumped on a plane, never been to Asia before. Yeah. I landed in Singapore and I never looked back. I loved it. Yeah. And Singapore, I heard great things. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, well, I mean, in and of itself, it's really tiny. It's a really small island, yeah. but, and it's probably the most densely populated island in the world, being the top three, along with Barbados, and it's really tightly packed. But it serves as a hub. It's kind of like how I see Miami. So Miami, it's, you know, it's a swamp. It's, yeah. There's nothing there. But what gives it uh, appeal is the fact that it is the hub commercial hub for Latin America and the Caribbean. Anybody who's doing anything of interest in Latin America, the Caribbean, they have the regional HQ, they have a presence there. And same with Singapore. If you're doing anything of interest in Southeast Asia, you are in Singapore, there's nowhere else to be. And with the troubles emerging in Hong Kong, it soon became if you're doing anything in Asia, you're gonna be in Singapore. So, you know, I, I think I ended up there in the right place at the right time and Finally, I got access to clients that normally I would not. You know, I got some fund managers and I got my first billionaire last year. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it it has been a land of opportunity for us. Yeah. I love that, man. And you said that, you know, starting out, it was really hard to acquire clients. One thing I noticed about you right now is you're very personable. And when people view accountants, they don't view accountants as personable, like me and you, right? Having the ability to just talk and more or less layman's terms and actually being able to have a conversation rather than being very curt and shut off. Can you talk about like how that transition occurred for you? Have you always been the type of person that was very personable? Has that been some of your traits or did you have to kind of develop some skills, sell skills along the way? Hmm. Naturally, to be honest, I'm an introvert, okay. but uh, in one of my previous roles, I remember doing the MBTI Myers-Briggs type indicator. Right. And yeah. And then, you know, so that was like a corporate retreat over a few days. And my CEO at the time, I remember her telling me, don't worry, I am naturally an introvert as well. But you know, I needed to survive. So I had to become what I am. Right. So I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of inspiring. I I need to to do that as well. I need to switch it up. I need to develop that skill set. So I started looking for opportunities to come out of my shell and to attend meetings with other companies, with stakeholders, and to kind of put myself out there. And when I got to Asia, I realized that that was the name of the game. And I met some other guys that were out there, this one guy from New York, and we got close. 
and he was running his own business as well. And, he, and basically the name of the game is, it's kind of like being back in high school. It's a popularity contest. Yeah. And we can try and dress it up, but that's what it is. So like every evening we had to be at some, you know, like a chamber of commerce event, some sort of uh, business mixer every day. That's your job to get up. And so then I felt comfortable in Singapore. We developed a practice and we're probably the biggest in Singapore for U.S. tax. And then we, through my relationship with the Moore's Roland brand, we looked elsewhere as well. And then I realized Indonesia with like 260 million people and no U.S. tax practice. Come on. That's easy. <laughs> so you started taking advantage of different opportunities as you exactly. saw just being overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, so it's a combination of recognizing what was needed and developing it within ourselves. And then it's pure luck. I mean, I moved from London where like at every corner, there was a, another U.S. tax shop to somewhere. Well, like I don't think it was pure luck. I don't think it was pure <laughs> luck. I think it was intention. You had intention to become successful in tax and accounting. And these opportunities yeah. were just around your environment. Right. So I felt like you had a lot of conviction on what you were trying to accomplish. Well, that, that's really nice. But to me, <laughs> that's really <laughs> polite to you. But to me, it feels like, you know, I'd never been to Asia. I, I didn't even know what was there. The furthest East had been was like Switzerland. And yeah. for, you know, to imagine, I'd never imagined that that's where I would end up. So I just happened, I was talking to a recruiter. I left my previous role. And he said, what do you think about Abu Dhabi? I'm thinking, line, I, I'm not feeling the whole, you know, vibe there. What do you think about Singapore? Yeah. Huh. And then I was on a Skype call a few days later and then a couple of weeks later I was out there. So, Wow. Yeah. Gotta love it, man. And you brought up a very important person who I know was fundamental to my growth in financial literacy, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. Guys, if you're listening to this and you have not read it, it's a absolute must. It's a must read. The part of the reason why Darren and I love Rich Dad Poor Dad's book is because Robert Kiyosaki has done a great job teaching you on how income is taxed. And once you understand these different cash flow quadrants, you'll understand what things you can do to get yourself out of a, a position of being taxed so high and also learn about other people who may be living the lifestyle you want to live where some of their personal expenses, their car and traveling and cell phone can be yeah. turned into business and investment write-offs just through tax planning and tax strategy. So I think it's uh, important for you guys to, to grab onto that book, but I also think it's important for you guys to have a good concept of tax planning. Darren, tell me how tax planning has changed your life and your clients' lives. Well, let's see. I think the fact that we're dealing with cross-border issues means that our typical client probably has a a sufficient level of sophistication, right? So how is it? So it's not something that, uh, you know, that I can say that it's new, that it's revolutionary or whatever. It just, the, it's been a learning curve in the sense that we're constantly teaching ourselves. So if I'm dealing with cross-border issues, I can't just understand the US. Uh, I obviously know the UK. Then I had to learn Singapore. Then I learned Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Japan, China, whatever. Not to the extent that I can actually do detailed advisory, but at least I can have a big picture view. Yeah. I know what's possible. 
And if I know it's possible, like this morning, you know, the, the guy I'm talking to, you know, two American business partners there in China, things are going well and they're looking to level up. They're moving from a six figure to definitely seven, eight figures with a new relationship they have. So I know what's possible in China coming out of Hong Kong. So I had that initial conversation and when he's ready to go a little bit further with me, then I rope in my, my counterpart from Hong Kong and then we could tag team it together. Nice. So it's been, and so when you say tax planning, I associate that or I equate that with constant education. I'm just yep. constantly thinking and constantly learning and, and the rules change, right? Correct. Once upon a time, everyone was talking about like a, a double Irish, right? Uh, you know, that's what Apple and Starbucks and stuff was using, but that now, you know, that's no longer available. So it's right. a constant cat and mouse game. As we see a tax planning opportunity, understand that legislation will close it in a few years time. Yeah. So we just always need to be ahead of it. I love that you said education. I love that you said it's constant education because tax planning is constant education. It's not simply telling your tax person, one part of your life that you have right in that particular year it's letting your accountant know that the intentions you have for yourself your family maybe things that could be in you could be inheriting so that they can provide you strategies just not where you're at but where you're trying to go so i love that you brought in constant education and here in the united states it is about keeping up with the information because tax laws change pretty regularly we had the tax cuts job act that went into effect in 2018. So a lot of business owners who were operating as S corporations decided to switch over to C corporations because the uh, corporate tax rate dropped from 35% to 21%. So keeping yeah. yourself educated and also having a tax strategist allows you to stay ahead of the game. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Aaron, I've enjoyed having this discussion with you. Is there one last message that you want to give my followers or maybe a message that you want to give other accountants out there? I think don't be afraid to think out of the box. And the same thing I tell clients, I tell other practitioners as well. There's a world beyond the United States. And uh, as you, you know, going back to Rich Dad Poor Dad, it's you are trying to create a legacy and that will outlive you, take care of your family, take care of your kids, and you do not have all your eggs in one basket. And when right now you may be thinking all oh, my eggs in one basket, one area of practice, maybe you can be looking at estate planning, maybe you could be looking at you know, trust and foundations, more, more sophisticated, high net worth um, planning as well, because understand that the software companies are gonna eat into your, 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 your low end business, so that cannot be your practice. So go high end, Look at wider geographies within the U.S. and look outside of the U.S. as well. There's a big world out there. That's it. I love that. And you, you're pretty much telling people, don't restrict your thinking. Yeah. Don't restrict your thinking. And you've got me uh, kind of on the idea of looking outside the United States. I love that uh, you deal with international tax law. How can some of my clients get a hold of you or how can people get a hold of you who are looking to follow you and learn more about you? Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So my name is Darren Joseph with an E, so it's spelled funny, D-E-R-R-E-N, Joseph. Uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn, and my website is htj.tax. Love it. And then your, your book, has it been released yet, The Adapt or Die? Yeah, I've actually just finished my third book. So The Adapt or Die was published, I think, in, on my birthday. I published it on my birthday, specifically May 1st. Okay. 
vanity reasons. So at the, at the beginning of August, I published my third book, which was Essential Estate Planning for uh, American Expats. I love it, man. And so yeah. we can get access to these books through Amazon online? Everything is on Amazon. Yeah. You got it. Well, I appreciate your time today, Darren. It's been a pleasure. Guys, welcome back to Tax-Free Living, and we look forward to seeing you on the next show. Take care. Thank you.